Tonight, a conversation with an American leftist who saw the error of his ways and became a leading conservative activist. It's June 13th and you're watching The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I first heard of David Horowitz more than 10 years ago when I read his shocking book called The Shadow Party, how George Soros, Hillary Clinton, and 60s radicals seized control of the Democratic Party. That's a heavy title, and it's a heavy topic, and it feels edgy, and back in 2006, it almost sounded like too much, like a conspiracy theory. Of course it wasn't. It was meticulously footnoted, and it was all out there in public, really. As most of the good news stories are, they're just deliberately not reported upon by the mainstream media. And it all came to pass, of course. The Soros takeover of the Democrats, the extreme left, the activist left, pushing out the traditional bases of Democrats. I mean, forget about anyone with a hard hat, obviously. Blue-collar workers get out. It was all identity politics. Black Lives Matter, Occupy Wall Street, thuggery even, and Antifa. And there's a dramatic chapter in the book about how Soros actually uses violence to foment revolutions in other countries in the world and what that means for America. As with so many such books, even the most researched, they're ignored by the mainstream who either don't put in the effort to do the research themselves or more often support the radical goals of the left. But Horowitz comes from the left. He understands it from the inside and he uses that familiarity to be a strategic and effective fighter. He uses the tactics of the left. And so he built a war machine for conservatives called the David Horowitz Freedom Center with everything from campus groups to conservative conferences to alternative media outlets. It's a battle group and it's Trumpy, as in it's not a dainty group of elite Republicans in name only, they're tough guys. I had the chance to catch up with David via Skype. I apologize, the Skype connection wasn't the best, but we proceeded with the interview nonetheless because I thought it was interesting enough I hope you agree. We also talk about his new book, of course, the ninth and final volume of his authoritative Black Book of the American Left. Here is my full interview with David Horowitz. Well, when someone has an entire freedom center named after them, you know you're talking to an intellectual leader, and that is our guest now, who for decades has fought the fight against the American left, and he used to come from the left, which is, I think, why he's not only so passionate, but so skillful. He knows their secrets, how they think, where the bodies are buried. Maybe not literally the bodies they're buried, but he knows there are bodies. I'm talking about David Horowitz, who's the boss of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. And he joins us now via Skype to talk about the Freedom Center, his work, and the ninth volume of his series called The Black Book of the American Left. David, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. 
Um, it's, uh, I, we met very briefly uh, last year at the Restoration Weekend that you hosted in Florida, which is a large conference of conservative thinkers and activists. Uh, a lot of our fan favorites were there from Ann Coulter to Mark Stein, of course, a lot of American congressmen, uh, Devin Nunes was there, if I recall. Um, Turning Point USA, heroes like James O'Keefe of Project Veritas. It sounds like you've put together a coalition of freedom fighters. Um, it, it, it was very powerful to see, but even your group is a fraction of the size of what the left has, am I right? Oh yeah, of course. The left is a, just a dominant force in the culture. It's a big problem. And most uh, conservatives are policy-oriented. They're not battle-oriented. And you're correct in noticing I have these activists, but that's what I've done my whole career. And uh, to me, it's fascinating. Um, I usually don't, you know, I'll know some people in an administration. I raised uh, quite a bit of money for Bush. But I didn't have really any rapport with them. Whereas... Trump is, has been surrounded by people um, that have attended the Restoration Weekend uh, and who are fighters like Trump. It's a big change, and I'm hoping it can save the country, which yeah. I think is a serious change. Well, uh, let me talk for a minute about the Restoration Weekend. It was very exciting for me to see all these activists. Some of them were policy-oriented, some were political. Some talked about the larger culture. There were uh, films that were debuted. There was, um, before he fell out of uh, the good graces of the White House, Steve Bannon was there talking about the cultural fight. I think it's a key point that when someone's a conservative group, people say, oh, that's a conservative group. But most liberal activists or leftist activists, they're not even called that. They're just so deeply embedded in Hollywood or TV or or music, or uh, academia. We don't even call it left-wing Hollywood. It's all left-wing. They don't draw attention to their leftism. Sometimes they don't even know that's how they're described. They just are leftists. We truly are a fraction, a fraction of the size of the activist left. Well, first of all, the reason that they're not noticed or identified as leftists is because they, they are the media. And the second reason is that Republicans are lame when it comes to political warfare. So for a good 20 years, I was frustrated by Republicans referring to people whose ideas are indistinguishable from that really of the Communist Party, if you update it. I'm speaking of Democrats as liberals. Uh, people who call themselves liberals are vindictive bigots. There's nothing liberal about them, except their attitudes towards, you know, coddling criminals, uh, uh, sympathizing with America's enemies, uh, spending other people's money, uh, and so forth. Uh, that's what they're liberal about. But they are, these are reactionaries. And, and language is really important. The left has all a good language. Uh, these people are, as I say, they're reactionaries, not progressives. And they're totalitarians, not liberals. Liberals don't want to shut down the other side, which is what has now overtaken all of our campuses. The campus left is a fascist left. 
But there are very few conservatives who are willing to be so impolite as to use terms like this. That's very That's interesting. I, I think the word liberal is still um, treated with great affection in a lot of circles. I mean, uh, in Canada, the governing party is called the Liberal Party. Uh, but there, there really is a difference between the left and liberals. We see that on campus. Um, the, the move to censorship, the move against free speech, even at Berkeley, which used to be the home of free speech. Yeah, um, there isn't a big difference between liberal, so-called liberals and leftists. Um, I mean, leftists are, are, are in a greater hurry than so-called liberals. What does the Democratic Party stand for? It has a racist ideology, identity politics, which is cultural Marxism. It believes the world is divided into oppressors and oppressed, and white, pe white straight white males are the oppressors. Um, this is as left as it gets. They want to redistribute income. Uh, they're all social justice warriors, which means they want to use the power of the government to pick the pockets of people that they don't like and give the money to people who will support them. Uh, what's liberal about that? They're leftists. There is, there's no difference. I mean, of course, the Antifa leftists are overtly fascists, and you want to use violence. But there have always been gradations of the left, if you will, degrees of the left. And they're all dangerous, every, every single degree, no matter how so, uh, moderate it looks. I mean, people call Abbas in the uh, Palestinian leader uh, as a moderate. He, he's a Nazi. Yeah. Huh. He, he's a Holocaust denier. He's a terrorist supporter. He honors terrorists and pays them. We're crying out tears. How could you call him a moderate? Hmm. But they do, because it's a left-wing media that we have to deal with and a polite Republican opposition. Jordan Peterson, um, the professor from the University of Toronto, who's been uh, on such a successful tour lately talking about political correctness, he says that the left needs to, sorry, liberals need to reclaim their side of the spectrum from the, the leftist authoritarians. Are there any such common sense liberals who uh, would be mo truly moderate and believe in uh, American values, but just have a more, uh, you know, be one standard deviation to your left, as opposed to all the way over at the spectrum? Is there any liberals left, or is it all just conservatives and leftists now? You know, I can think of a handful. Alan Dershowitz would qualify. And I think if the Democratic Party lost big enough uh, electorally, in the next two elections, um, there are some sensible Democrats. Uh, but, you know, I don't have a lot of respect for them because they're going along with this incredible, um, seditious, treasonous effort to destroy uh, the presidency of Donald Trump, who was legitimately elected, to deny him his legitimacy. Um, and. How many members of the Democratic Party did not support the treasonous Iran deal, which uh, you know lifted the sanctions from a Nazi regime whose leaders uh, openly want to destroy us, death to America? I understand where Jordan Peterson is coming from. I think he's a tremendous asset to me. 
it's sort of the same Western culture from uh, the 70s. But I, I think he's being overly optimistic. Um, or it's just, you know, it's protective to support liberalism because because the left dominates the culture and has made a perverse version of liberalism, um, uh, you know, the, the respected people. I, I think Jordan Peterson has given me some hope because what I've seen, I mean, I'm based here in Toronto, so I, I saw him in before he really broke through internationally. And I see that he really flipped the light switch on for a lot of students, uh, casual students, undergrads, but also grad students, other professors. So I see his message as having a widespread retail impact, let's say, but also he's creating mini-me's, people who say, well, if Jordan Peterson can do that, I can do that. I, I'm a professor, I'm a master's student, I'm a grad student, whatever. So I, I had... Oh, I agree. I agree. He's a tremendous force, tremendous force for good. I agree. And there are lots of people who are not ideological. Um, and what they haven't heard before. I mean, the, the, the Jordan Peterson phenomenon is like the Trump phenomenon. And, you know, there are others like Candace Owens and uh, Dave Rubin and so forth. And then there's a willingness to actually confront the left. Um, I, I think Dave Rubin has the term, they're regressive progressives or whatever, regressive liberalism, he calls it. Whereas I, I said it was reactionary, it's just the same, same thing. But until the advent of Trump, there have been very few people on the right who are willing to confront uh, the leftist threat for what it is and call it by its you know, proper names. Mm -hmm. The Democratic Party controls every inner city of size in America, every killing field, Chicago, Detroit, uh, St. Louis, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and, and has controlled it 100 percent. I mean, they're monopoly control for 50 to 100 years. So every atrocity that the inner city commits against poor people or black people or Hispanic people, uh, every failed school, uh, that year in and year out, you just can you predict it because it's always the same. Forty percent of the kids don't graduate, and forty percent of those who do are functionally illiterate. Every oppression, every injustice in the inner city, Democrats, progressives, leftists, liberals, whatever you want to call them, are one hundred percent responsible for. But you never hear a Republican say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now Trump is different. That's the he, Trump uh, seems to be making a career uh, out of his whole presidency, out of saying things you're not supposed to say. He pulled America out of the UN global warming. Oh, exactly. That's because, and that's because I don't know Jordan Peterson's background, whether he's a second daughter, but, but Trump is. Trump was on the left. Trump was a liberal, uh, but he's also a patriot. And his love for America is what drives him. And, uh, you know, he's fearless, and that's wonderful. Think of the second, second presidential debate. You know, in front of 70 million television viewers, Trump looked Hillary Clinton in the eye and said, you are a liar and a crook, which he is both. But there's not another conservative or Republican who would ever have said that to her. 
because she's a woman and they're deferential towards women. So the, the deference towards women allows her uh, to be vicious, criminal, and get away with it because she's a woman. Nobody will point it out. Well, I think Trump has, uh, you know, broken that mold, and that gives me great hope for the future. You know, things that were supposed to be impossible. I mentioned the UN uh, and global warming moving the is uh, embassy to Jerusalem, a small matter, but something people were terrified of taking on. I mean, it's, it's, it, he really reminds me of the emperor has new clothes, no clothes child, just saying, well, I'm going to say what everybody knows, but no one has had the courage. Do you think it's spreading? Do you think Trump's um, courage is inspiring others uh, to talk about things you're not allowed to talk oh, well, about? I see it. Well, I see it most in the younger generation. Um, and, and, and that's the conservatives. I, mean, I consider Jordan Peterson pretty young. Um, but, the, you know, Dave Rubin, louder with Crowder. Um, I, said, I see a lot of aggressive, really healthy aggressiveness on the part of young, younger conservatives. And then, you know, there are... There are Republicans like uh, Devin Nunes uh, and uh, Jim Jordan who are uh, standing up, take no prisoners kind of guys. And then look at Sarah, Sarah Huckabee. She's just, well, she's just tremendous, Sarah Huckabee. You didn't see Republicans like that before. And Kellyanne Conway and, uh, you know, I could go on and on. Yeah. Um, tell me more about the Freedom Center. I had really, uh, I've seen some of your work online and visiting the Restoration Weekend in Florida, which was a great conference. I think it was the best conference I've been to in a decade. It was so lively and confident. I spent the, misspent the first half of my life as a leftist, so I just carried over um, the, the tactical smarts of the left as a way. I, the left is really good at politics. They have. I haven't had a new idea since 1848, but um, they managed to be competitive because maybe because they're so vicious and people get out of their way. And I'm not suggesting that conservatives become leftists, um, but I'd like to see them maybe 10 or 20 percent more aggressive and in your face and unapologetic. That would be extremely helpful. So what we've done. You know, we've always called the left the left uh, at the Freedom Center. Um, um, we were kind of Trumpians before Trump. Yeah. Well, I like the, uh, your fighting style. I know, you know, I, I think it's a very American style. You have the First Amendment to support you. You have the Second Amendment to give you confidence. Uh, it, it is a Trumpy style. We're a little bit that way up here in Canada. We fight, but. Our, our culture is not as much freedom-oriented, and I feel like we're losing some of our freedoms. We're slipping away. I think your First Amendment makes all the difference in the world. It's the number one amendment under assault on the left. And, I mean, the reality, I mean, the left is a totalitarian force. They want to change everything, and they're in a real uh, hurry to do it. Um, so they want to control everything, and they can't stay. They can't stand and have one dissenting voice in the room. Um, but uh, America is unique. I mean, it's it's amazing. It was an amazing creation, um, and uh, you know, I see that it has a lot of uh, 
admirers and followers in the world, but so far there's no, no state really like America that's built on these principles. Well, listen, it's great to catch up with you. I appreciate you Skyping to us from your home. Uh, we'll keep watching the Horowitz Freedom Center and your many projects, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to, to join you again at Restoration okay, Weekend. First of all, I have a website at blackbookoftheamericanleft.com, mm -hmm. um, and you can see all the volumes, all the tables of contents, all the introductions, which really describe the books, um, and, and all the reviews, or a lot of the reviews are all up at blackbookoftheamericanleft.com. This volume, the final one, is about the two ideas that have ruled Western history for the last 200 years. And one of them is the American idea of individual freedom, individual liberty, individual accountability, that in the words of Martin Luther King, we strive to judge people on the the content of their character, not the color of their skin or their gender or orientation. And the other idea is the communist idea, a Marxist idea. It's called identity politics. It's racist. And it, and it insists on judging people first by the color of their skin uh, or their gender or their sexual orientation. And it has a view of the world that it's divided into oppressors and oppressed takes away the agency and ability to make choices of the victim groups who are all people of color um, and women. And, and it's so silly. Uh, you know, just, just thinking about it, it's completely ridiculous. But there is no group people of color. And we, we uh, English-speaking peoples, don't have a phrase like people of color. It's an ideological term. We don't say here's a box of crayons of color. It was invented by radicals to divide the world into the bad people who are white and straight and male, and the evil people, and the victim people who are people of color. But there is no such group people of color with a common interest. Um, you know, if you think there is, tell that to the Rwandans, where the uh, Hutus, who are black, massacred a million Tutsis who are also black. And so the oppressor group was black and the victim group was black. But the people's brains have been glued up by this ideology. <clears throat> and they, they don't think twice to think, you know, like take the pro-choice movement. As if, if you took away the right to abortion, uh, would, would that end women's choices? Where women choose, they have to choose to have sex, they have to choose, choose not to take precautions. I mean, there are a few accidents every now and then. Um, so there's a lot of choices. Uh, it's not oppression, it's people disagreeing uh, over, you know, the life of the unborn. That's what it is, basically. Uh, but every, or take, you know, take the Starbucks incident recently where, Two big guys come into Starbucks and uh, want to use the restroom, and the much smaller female store manager says it's company policy that you have to buy something uh, to use the restroom, and that's to keep out the homeless. And uh, and these guys say, hell no, we're going to do what we want because basically we're bigger than you. 
and she got scared and called the police. And how is that a racial incident? It isn't. And this woman is suing Starbucks um, because, of course, the owner of Starbucks who wants to run as a Democrat has got to pay obeisance to this racist ideology of identity politics. Um, he made it into a racial incident by uh, having, you know, stupid uh, training, these diversity trainers uh, who make fortunes over teaching nonsense and racism, basically, um, to teach people about their unconscious bias. The left doesn't even have racists that it can go to the war against. So we're always talking about institutional racism, which is outlawed and doesn't exist, and systemic racism, which is another mythology. Uh, this book I've done, Ruling Ideas, is largely a critique uh, of Marxism, but it also uh, has a chapter called America's Civil War. And the reason we're in a civil war is because you can't have two competing ideologies, one which is racist, which is the Democrats and the liberals, so-called, and the left, and one which is individual-centered and says you judge people uh, for who they are, not, not for where they came from or what the color of their skin is. Hmm. Now, I'll tell you, the left is going to lose this because by now, in America, virtually every family has a black member, a Hispanic member, an Asian member, uh, a, gay, a gay member, and so forth. So this straw man that they're beating up, these racist, alt-right, uh, neo-Nazis, uh, such a pitiful minority that they, they don't even... Uh, exert any influence in the culture. Hmm. Well, this has been fascinating, and I look forward to reading it. The ninth edition, the ninth volume of the Black Book of the American Left is called Ruling Ideas, and we'll put that website link under the video for people can go directly there. As you say, check out the tables of contents and order the book. It's great to talk with you. I'm a big fan, and I'll encourage our viewers to check out the Freedom Center. You have so many projects. Thanks for fighting the fight, and hopefully we'll uh, fight part of the same fight up here on the northern flank. Okay. Good luck to you. You've got to get rid of that jerk Trudeau. What a jackass. <laughs> Will do. Thanks very much, David. Nice to meet you. Well, there we have it. David Horowitz uh, is the leader of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. They have a great variety of projects, and they have a conference that I visited last November called the Restoration Weekend. And uh, well, you heard about the new book called Ruling Ideas, the latest volume of the big black book of the American left. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back. Well, that was my interview with David Horowitz, and I'm sorry the Skype quality wasn't better, but I thought, still, it's, it's good enough. I mean, he's, what he says is important, and he, the fights he's fought and the lessons he's learned from being on the inside. And in some ways, I feel like we here at The Rebel are replicating in a small way what the David Horowitz Freedom Center does. We have activist events. We have protests and rallies. We have conferences. We've had The Rebel Live in Toronto. Hopefully, we'll do that in other cities. We 
do things on campus. We have a website called Campus Unmasked, if you haven't followed it yet. So in our own ways, we're trying to fight like he does. Thankfully, I don't come from the left. I've always been a conservative, but I think his coming from the left gave him a special insider's knowledge. That's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.